Burning Zozo, written by Kristen Knight, narrated by Nancy Peterson. 2.7, Exhibit A. The next morning, an off-key scream, high and shrill, woke the Scoggins. Andy leaped from her bed and stumbled to the kitchen. Emma was squirming on Shane's lap where he had her trapped with one arm. She held the orange sippy cup in her hand. Juice! she screamed. No, Emma. Shane pulled the cup away. That's Mommy's juice, not yours. You can't have that. The TV was turned up too loud. Dad, Andy mumbled. I've had like three hours of sleep. What's going on? Riots in Egypt, Shane said, and clicked to another news channel. Looks like their government might turn over. Again. Click. Earthquake in Alaska. Not big enough to do much damage, though. Click. This was how Shane Scoggin consumed news. He skimmed, summarized, and reported. Click. Look, Emma. That's the Sozopra. He's a big puppet for the fiesta. Emma pointed at the TV where an ad for the Sosopra burning was playing. Sozo. Papa. Andy poured a bowl of cereal, then handed a few to her sister. She chomped on the honey nut treat and shouted, Sozo. Okay, Emma, I'm right here. I can hear you, Andy said. Oh, there's no milk, Sonny. Mom's gone to Walgreens to pick some up. She went to the pharmacy for milk? On the other side of town? Guess so. Uh-huh. Click. Where were you last night? At work. Adams had a party that went late. Sorry I forgot to call. Your mom's pretty heated over it. You better be gone when she gets back. Oh, and that's the last of the cereal. Shane clicked past an entertainment channel. Not much in the fridge, either. Wait, Andy said, and brought her bowl to the couch. Go back. That's the fourth number one in a row for Jillian Morris, the reporter said. Not even old enough to drive, this talented tween now ranks among the likes of Elvis, Madonna, and the Beatles for the most top ten hits of all time. Hey, Andy pointed at the screen with her spoon. I just saw her. Shane said, Sonny, you see her every day. Her face is on the wall in your room. No, I saw her in person at wo Then she remembered the NDA. She couldn't talk about what went on at Adams's house, which somehow made it seem even more like a dream. Saw her in town. Shane stood, and the newspaper perched beside him fell to the floor. The help-wanted section was littered with circles and X's. Across the page was written a thick red mierda. Hmm. Shane clicked. Dodgers lost. The top floor of the mansion was relatively tidy, considering what had gone on the night before. The strange gray disks from the supply closet were rolling over the tile, eating the last bits of coral-colored sand like a giant game of Pac-Man. One of the robot vacuums bumped Chen's foot. 
Let's have you clean the master suite first, he said. The master? Is Mr. Adams here? No, Chen said. Oh, her shoulders slumped. Chen's eyes narrowed. Why? Um, I, uh, just didn't want to disturb him if he was here. He's gone for several days, but there are six other people staying in the guest rooms, so stay quiet and out of the way. Chen checked his watch. Come on, you've got a long list today. Chen led Andy to the master suite and stopped. These are Mr. Adams's private quarters. You'll need to keep them spotless. He swung the double doors wide. The room smelled of new leather and looked like a five-star hotel lobby with clusters of couches and designer coffee tables. A king-sized bed sat dwarfed against the far wall. Three televisions hung on another wall above shelves filled with antique goblets. A panther skin lay stretched on the floor, lips pulled back, bearing six-inch fangs. His round pupils and yellow eyes looked disturbingly human. Andy was certain that the panther skin would add serious fuel to the skinwalker rumors, if any local ever saw it. In frames near the bed hung life-sized paper dolls. Sticks dangled from their hands and feet exquisitely detailed. Andy moved closer to get a better look. Have you seen these before? Chen asked. Do you know what they are? Brows high, she shook her head. They're shadow puppets from the Han Dynasty, circa 100 BC, Chen said. Wow, what are they for? The Chinese emperor at the time, Emperor Wu, lost a beloved concubine to disease. He was so devastated by her death that in a fit of grief, he ordered his officers to bring her back to life. Of course they couldn't, so instead, they created an elaborate life-sized puppet of her image out of donkey leather. With an oil lamp behind it, the puppet cast shadows that looked like hers when she was alive, bowed like her, danced like her, made her immortal, the emperor was so pleased he asked for more. That's how the art of shadow play was born. Is this it? The actual one? Andy pointed to a puppet with emerald eyes and jet hair. No, but these are from that era, and very rare. They're so intricate. They make me wonder what it would be like to actually be there and live during that time, Andy said. You like history, Chen said, smiling softly. Andy nodded. Then you'll like working for Mr. Adams. He's an expert and feels the same way you do about history. Takes him back in time. Sun streamed through the tall windows onto an elaborate brass and lapis birdcage. Something moved inside. Hey, is that a parakeet? That's Jezebel. She's a white mina. Also very rare. White Mina, Chen's voice echoed from the cage. How did you? Mina birds are near-perfect imitators of the human voice, and Jezzy's gifted. So be careful what you say near her, she'll repeat it. Cool, Andy said. A perfect imitation of her voice said, Cool, from the cage. 
If you want her quiet, just put the cover on. It's in the nightstand. Now, this is a list of instructions for cleaning the suite. He handed over a post-it note. Sheets are here. He opened a wood panel to reveal a linen closet. And supplies here. He tapped another with his hand, then turned to leave. Andy swallowed hard and said, Uh, wait, Mr. Chen. I need to ask a favor. Hmm. What kind of favor? I, um, was wondering if I could possibly get a pay advance rather than waiting until the end of the pay period. Chen's brows pressed together and he cupped his hands behind his back. You know you are still on probation. Andy nodded. I know. That's why I feel weird asking. It's just that my family is in a tight spot, and my mother, she... Chen held up his hand. I don't need to know why, and I don't want to know about your family. He looked at his watch, then down at the floor, anywhere but at Andy. I'll think about it, he said, then quickly turned to go. Andy exhaled and turned to Jessie. She was grooming her pearly wings in the sunlight. Well, that was an epic fail, she said softly. That was an epic fail, Andy's voice came from the cage. You are a freaky little bird, you know that? Andy peered through the bars. You are a freaky little bird, you know that? Jessie echoed and peered back. Andy fed the bird movie lines while she changed the sheets. Jessie repeated them all nearly to the letter. Occasionally, she'd forget a the or an a, like Chris did when his accent ripened. The one that made Andy laugh the loudest was, You Can't Handle the Truth, from A Few Good Men, 1992, including just the right amount of Andy meets Jack Nicholson. Then finally, Andy got up her nerve and whispered, I love Chris a phrase she'd never actually said aloud before. I love Chris, the bird repeated, as Andy's own tender words echoed back to her in the warm air, made more real and raw somehow by the sun through the windows. She cleared her throat and put the cover over the cage. That's enough of that. Back to work. Andy counted the days to Chris's birthday and racked her brain about what to give him, while swiffering a goblet that was adorned with a Star of David, she had an idea. That night, she asked Jane for some cherry wood left over from one of his cabinet-making projects. He showed her how to form a cross with a tongue and groove joint and bevel the edges. She practiced a few times on pine, then used cherry for the final pendant. When it was done, she stained it as dark red as she could, five coats, and two poly to make it shine. She wanted it to look like it was worth something. Shauna at K&H donated a broken strand of garnet beads, and a YouTube video showed Andy how to space them properly for prayers. The night of the party, Andy borrowed Jenna's red sundress and gold sandals. Then she asked Jenna to do her hair and makeup as only Jenna could. Sure, her sister said, and got to work with her brushes, even though she was late for a date. When she was finished, Jenna stepped back and said, 
You look really beautiful, Andy. And Andy could tell Jenna meant it. Andy smiled. Now don't you dare put those hideous hipster glasses back on and cover up my masterpiece. Promise? I promise, Andy said and hugged Jenna, then stashed the glasses in her purse, just in case. Cecilia Frost lived in the largest adobe on Avenida Primera and made sure everyone knew it. To punctuate their wealth, on the night of the party, her parents hired a steroid-bloated bouncer who made the guests show their invitations at the door. Once past the bouncer, Andy walked to the balcony overlooking the pool. Surveying the crowd, it was obvious it wasn't Chris's party at all. It was Cecilia's. Her crowd, a couple of Chris's friends from the lacrosse team were there, but that was it. Andy wiped her hands on her dress and said, Okay, time to face the music. Then headed downstairs. Head cheerleader Angela Morales was pressed up against Chris and whispering in his ear. Andy waited until Angela left to fill her glass, then said, She one of your birthday gifts? Chris just sipped his drink and gazed at the pool. Andy fidgeted with her earring and asked, So, am I on your blacklist now, or what? He looked straight ahead. When will you learn, Labushka, that I do not keep a blacklist? She swallowed. So, um, did you get my text? Yes, he said. I did. And does the fact I'm here mean you've actually forgiven me? She said softly. Even though I don't deserve it? I forgive you, yes, he said. Not sure about my mother, though. She doesn't understand your family's... He searched for the word. Predicament. Nice vocab. Chris nodded his thanks. Did you tell... No, I didn't tell her. Chris was the only one of Andy's friends who knew the whole truth about her father. Thank you, Andy said, for understanding. She thrust her gift at him. Here, peace offering. Happy birthday. Oh, no, Andy, Cecilia appeared. Gifts are later, after cake. Here, I'll take that for you. She grabbed the box wrapped in a printed Old Navy shopping bag and shoelace with the tips cut off. No, Cecilia, I don't want... Andy protested, but Cecilia was halfway across the terracotta deck and placing the offering on a table next to others dressed in silvers and blues. Andy turned back to Chris. So this looks like a party for someone. Not sure it's you, though. Hmm. My friends are all just late, right? Chris finally looked at Andy and gave her a sideways smile. Her shoulders relaxed, and she smiled back. Right. So, how does it feel to be one year older, one year closer to... Lifelong celibacy and poverty? Chris smiled wide. Andy's face followed, and she exhaled. I was going to say freedom. Chris held out his hands. I thought I was already free. 
I guess you are. She looked around at all the strangers wearing designer clothing and blatantly using their real names. More than me. Stop, Labushka. He turned to face her and stepped closer, creating a private space where he could ask her something real. And how is the new job? She looked in his eyes and saw only forgiveness and kindness clear and blue as the Santa Fe sky. The words she'd said earlier to Jessie about Chris rolled in her mind, weakening her knees. She quickly focused on topic. Actually, it's kind of interesting. The guy I work for collects antiques and has this old shirt that I wanted to ask you about. It's made out of... Chris looked at Andy strangely as she talked. He squinted and tipped his head. What? What is it? Andy asked. You're stuck, he said. I'm what? Reaching up, he brushed a hair that was awkwardly stuck to her face, grazing her cheek with his hand. She froze at his touch. A hair was stuck in the corner of your mouth. Now you're perfect, he smiled at her. She stood with her mouth agape, unable to form words. Come on, I'm so hungry I could eat the horse. Time for food. Andy was going to correct his idiom but was too dazed by his touch to get the words out. Instead, she followed him to the buffet table. Pizza, sliders, Russian potato cakes, and Rahaliki cookies filled the table. As Chris stacked food on his plate, Mrs. Belikov breezed in, wearing a pale chiffon dress, vodka in hand. She was smiling until she saw Andy. Andrea, darling, is that you? She said, more ice in her voice than in her glass. I hardly recognized you in the dress and without your glasses. Andy had never gotten up the nerve to tell her that Andrea wasn't actually her name. You look so lovely. What a clever disguise. Thank you, I think, Andy said quietly, looking anywhere but in Mrs. Belikov's eyes. Valeria took another sip from her drink, then floated off to terrify someone else. Just then, feedback screeched from an amp. Everyone covered their ears and groaned. Uh, my bad. A scrawny musician muttered into the mic at the far end of the pool. He was surrounded by three identical scrawny bandmates with instruments. They all wore the same t-shirt and jeans and had the same home-scissored haircut. Only the shoes were different. Chuck Taylors in different colors. Hey, he mumbled. We're anorexic double D, and we're going to start with this. A single note tortured the night air, followed by a string of angry lyrics. Your choice? Andy asked Chris. He swallowed a bite of pizza. Guess again. Although they do remind me of Mum and a Troll a little. Make me homesick. You mean that Russian band that doesn't realize they have to actually carry a tune to call it music? I think you're right. Judge not, Lapushka, or you'll be not a judge. Chris held up his drink and smiled. Andy's face followed. That was moderately clever, my Russian friend. Corny, but clever. 
dance, he said, setting his plate on a nearby table. No, no way, she shook her head. Not in front of these people. Come on, I'm going to be celibate in a few years. The least you can do is dance with me. You're celibate now, Belikov, she hesitated. Right? Aren't you? Chris smiled wide. I risked my case. That doesn't actually support your case. It actually weakens. Chris grabbed her wrist and pulled her into the forming mass of moving bodies. Everyone stared. Chris was the hottest guy for miles around, and either had no clue or was too saintly to care. Andy reasoned it was the latter, because he would never be friends with a girl like her if he worried one iota about looks or money. Andy and Chris were jumping up and down in the center of the dance floor when Cecilia wiggled her way in between them. Christoph, she said, want to know what my wish is for your birthday? Cecilia whispered something in his ear. As she did, Chris looked at Andy and crossed his eyes. Andy laughed out loud. Oh, wait, Cecilia stepped back. It's time, she scurried to the mic. Hey, y'all, gather round. It's time to sing. We're already gathered, Andy jabbed. The crowd turned in Chris's direction and started singing Happy Birthday to You as Mrs. Belikov emerged from the house holding a replica cake of Chris's mini Cooper, blazing with candles. No! Chris put his hands on his head and smiled wide. Ha, spasiba, mama! Then he made a wish and blew out the candles. Andy made one, too. The guests devoured Cooper cake while the band played another excruciating set. Then, without warning, Cecilia started the gift-giving. Andy was stuck there, watching. Chris got a laptop from his mom, Beats by Dre from his lacrosse friend Max, and an actual iPad from Cecilia. Gift cards for Apple or Amazon stacked up alongside electronics, watches, clothing, and cash. Okay, Andy's little gifty is all that's left, Cecilia announced and gave the box to Chris. I, um, actually left your real present at home. Andy grabbed the box from his hand. This is just a gag gift. No, Chris insisted and held out his hand. I saved it for last. All 50 kids born of seven-figure parents were watching, so Andy handed it back. She felt dizzy as Chris peeled back the paper and lifted the lid. Then he just stared. He's speechless, Cecilia said to her audience. Well, what is it, Chris? She grabbed the box and pulled out the rosary. Oh, it's a necklace, she said. How cute. Did you make this, Andy? Like at summer camp? She swung it over her hands like a well-oiled QVC salesperson. As she did, the cross fell from the beads and into the pool. The guests laughed as Chris reached for the pendant. Andy didn't stick around to find out what happened next. She simply set down her plate and walked through the house, past the bouncer to the dumpster where she'd hidden her Schwinn, got on her bike, and pedaled. As she passed Frenchie's field, she slid on her glasses to hide the tears carving streaks through Jenna's makeup masterpiece. 
When she reached the horseshoe of mobile homes, she tiptoed quietly. Gently, she opened the lock on her bike and carefully wrapped the chain around the carport pole. But it was too dark, and she fumbled. The chain chinked long and loud in the key of G. Damn it, she said as the terrier with cataract eyes came at her. The Roddy and Yellow Lab followed, snarling like they could smell her wounds and were moving in for the kill. She leapt up the stairs. myself in trying to get back out again to the place where the mountains meet the road we've been here before I picked you a flower then It's a shame that you never saw it grow Only Holy 